Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Simon Muat, M-O-U-A-T, from a blog at SchneiderElectric.com. Let me read it, and this will set us up for our topic today. Quote, Consumers can now make more informed choices about energy usage and become energy producers and storers themselves, known as prosumers. That's our key word today. So let me give you a little bit of background. What do clean water, affordable clean energy, sustainable cities, responsible consumption and production, climate action and life on land have in common? Well, that's a long list, isn't it? I'll tell you what they have in common because I have something in mind. They are Sustainable Development Goals, known as SDG number 6, 7, 11, 12, 13, and 15 of the United Nations 17 Political Goals to Drive Sustainable Development for Our Planet. Yes, they're official and their goals. So what is the mandate for our evolving smart cities? To implement these goals and to address the demands of a new type of citizen, I already mentioned it in the opening quote, called the digital prosumer. What do they want? They want decentralized regenerative energy production and reduced greenhouse gas emissions, among a lot of other things. It's a big topic, and we're going to cover it with three experts today, and we're calling this episode The Digital Prosumer, New Customer in Future Cities. That could be an exclamation point or a question mark. Let me tell you who my three panelists are, and then we'll get started. In just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Rob Wilhite. He spells his last name W-I-L-H-I-T-E, Managing Director at Navigan Consulting, and we'll find out what he does there. Joining him on the panel is Eric Dresselhaus, and I'm going to spell the last name. You'll never guess this one. D-R-E-S-S-E-L-H-U-Y-S. He'll tell us later about the derivation. He's the president of Smart Energy Water. Very appropriate to have him on the panel. And rounding out our threesome today is Jörg Furschow, and I'm going to spell it because you'll never guess that one either, F-E-R-C-H-O-W, and he is a utilities expert within the energy and natural resources sector at SAP. Gentlemen, welcome. Pleasure to have you here on Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, if anybody didn't remember from the announcer, and let's get started. Rob Wilhite has sent us a quote from Ralph. Waldo Emerson, 1803 to 1882, American essayist, lecturer, philosopher, and poet who led the transcendentalist movement of the mid-19th century. And here is the quote. It's a really good one. Listen up. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Rob Wilhite, how are you today? Oh, very well, Bonnie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to talk up just a little bit louder. I want to hear you a little bit clearer, just a little bit louder. And we'd love to hear, Rob, what this quote has to do with our topic, because I was not expecting a quote with the word enthusiasm. So you have to clue me in. Well, it's a new age and a digital society in which we live. We have many choices, many channels, many ways of communicating with each other. 
you have to make choices on where you want to pursue your efforts, whether it's in work, it's in life, or it's in any pursuit that you want to pursue between those two. And you can't do everything. You can't accomplish everything in life. Uh, Certainly, you want to pursue things that are of interest. And those things that have interest for you, both professionally and personally, I believe you should do with complete enthusiasm. And otherwise, it's probably not worth pursuing the other aspects. I appreciate that very much. I have a question for you, Rob, in terms of how utilities are coping with this new citizen genre, the digital prosumer. Are utilities, are smart cities saying, yay, somebody cares about regenerative energy, yay, somebody cares about, finally there's a group who are passionate about reduced greenhouse gas emissions and all that, or are they saying, oh, really, we got to do that? What's What's your thought? Are they really enthusiastic? <laughs> Tell me the truth. Uh, it's a great question. Yes, some utilities around the world are pursuing with enthusiasm you know, their ability to contribute to uh, lower greenhouse gas emissions to a more sustainable planet and society. Uh, I wish I could say it's universal across mm-hmm. thousands of utilities around the world, but it's not quite there yet. But those that are out in front that are leading the way in many cases are doing so with a great deal of enthusiasm. I'm happy to hear that, and I think the prosumers are probably the most enthusiastic of all, and we're going to be finding out more about exactly who they are. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to slide around the table just a little bit to our second panelist, Eric Dresselhaus. Eric, I think, was intrigued that I remembered how to pronounce his name because we talked about it on the <laughs> You're right, There you go. And Eric at Smart Energy Water. Eric has sent us a quote from the Grateful Dead from the song Scarlet Begonias. The lyrics were written by Rob Hunter and the music, of course, by Jerry Garcia. The live debut of the song was March 23rd, 1974. Well, that's a couple days ago, Eric, at the Cow Palace in Daly City, California. And the song begins in Grosvenor Square in London and references Tea for Two from No No Nanette by Irving Caesar and Vincent Humans. A lot of references. Here. The third stanza uses a gambling imagery loss that occurs in many Grateful Dead songs, and I won't do that one. And the line, everybody's playing in the Heart of Gold band, was used by Keith and Donna Godshow, I don't know who they are, to name their new group, Heart of Gold Band, when they left the Grateful Dead in 1979. So very, very interesting. Here is the little snippet from this interesting song that Eric has selected for our show today. Once in a while, you get shown the light in the strangest of places when you look at it right. It rhymes, Eric. How are you, Eric? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. Delighted. I love the quote. We don't usually get uh, song lyrics from the Grateful Dead, although we did have a quote from Jerry Garcia himself on a show a couple weeks ago. So talk to me. Who is seeing the light and who's looking at it right in terms of our topic, please? Well, you know, the reason I picked the quote was, uh, well, first, I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan and uh, spent uh, many summers uh, touring shows. But then, uh, you know, this came to mind because as we talk about the transition to prosumers, we talk about all of the changes that you outlined in in the introduction. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, A lot of, uh, I think a lot of utilities, a lot of people, cities um, were stuck for a long time uh, trying to think about these new things in an old way. And so, you know, this goes back to the early 70s. But this is, you know, Jerry and Robert Hunter telling us, you know, get out of the box. Uh, mm-hmm. Think outside the box before that was the term anybody would have known. That uh, sometimes you have to change your perspective and you have to change the way you look at things 
to really get the insight that you need to move forward. Thank you very much. I have to read a little bit more from the lyrics. Eric, will you allow me, please? I want to just level set on the title of the song. The the song starts out, I was walking down Grosvenor Square, not a chill to the winter, but a nip to the air. From the other direction, she was calling my eye. Could be an illusion, but I might as well try. Might as well try. Here it comes. She had rings on her fingers and bells on her shoes, and I knew without asking she was into the blues. She wore scarlet begonias tucked into her curls. I knew right away she was not like other girls. Other girls. And that's where I'm going to leave it. How is that, Eric? Okay? (laughs) You've got got a call-in and beat poetry readings uh, here in San Francisco. If, if I ever lose my job as a broadcaster, I'll go out and do poetry readings. Thank you very much. And now let's go around the table one more time to Jörg Fischau. I hope I'm Fischau. I'm saying it very, very yeah, correctly. It's, Maybe it's very it's got perfect. It? It's, perfect. Jörg Fischau. Yeah, I got it. I'm Utilities. <laughs> you like that? Now here he's he's found us a quote that is only five words long. I kind of like those quotes once in a while, Jörg, because we get quotes sometimes that are entire paragraph. Eric, I love the snippet you gave us from the song, so that wasn't referencing back to you. But Jörg has sent us a quote from Gandhi, Gandhi, 1869 to 1948. His full name, talking about a short name, was a long name, Mohandas Karam, Karamchand Gandhi, better known as the Mahatma, which means great soul. He was the leader of India's nonviolent independence movement against British rule. And in South Africa, he advocated for the civil rights of the Indians. And here is where this quote comes from. I'll read the background and then I'll tell what the quote is. Once while Gandhi's train was pulling out of a station, a European reporter ran to the window of the compartment where Gandhi was on the train and he said, do you have a message I can take back to my people? He asked Gandhi. It was Gandhi's day of silence a vital respite from his demanding speaking schedule, so he didn't say anything. He took a scrap of paper, scrawled five words, and passed it to the reporter. Jörg, did you know the story about the quote? I'm getting to Not really, to be honest. Nice to hear it. (laughs) I did a lot of digging on this one, trust me. And here is the quote. My life is my message. That's kind of beautiful if, if it applies to a person. So, Jörg, officially welcome. You're on the team that sponsors this series. I'm so happy to have you on the show. And tell me, my life is my message. How does that apply to our topic today, Jörg? Yeah, well, basically, it, yeah, I'm a father, yeah, and I'm, I want to be a role model uh, for my children. So um, becoming a prosumer is also being a kind of role model, yeah, because you want to show how it is possible or it's possible already now to live a little bit independent from your energy provider and producing your own energy and um, once you show that or the people the, the kids see what you have on your house solar panels on your rooftop then they might also apply it for their houses later on so how you live your children will live or your neighbors will look at you and they will try to do the same and that's, I think, behind that quote as well. You were the role model. That. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's role modeling. And if only parents and teachers could be that kind of a role model where they could come out and say, this should almost be... You know, you're, there's no handbook for parents. You become a parent. Everybody might tell you what to do, but we're pretty much on our own, aren't we? Wouldn't it be cool if there was a handbook for good parenting and the bottom line is you have to be able to say to your children, my life is my message. Wouldn't that be terrific, you think? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Exactly that's what I talk, uh, told my wife recently. There's, you have driving licenses, especially here in my country. You have licenses for everything, yeah, basically. But uh, nobody uh, needs to pass a license when becoming uh, parents, yeah. There's nothing, no guidance, whatever. That would really be good. <laughs> that's right. And, and you know something, in a way... In a way, talking about the digital prosumer, and I'm going to run this around the table quickly here, the idea that a digital prosumer can stand up proudly and say, I've got the right idea about renewable energy, about regenerative power sources, about reducing green gas gas emissions, about smart cities that are going to conserve energy and spread the use of resources to more people in a more efficient, a smarter way, if you will. If if this, the prosumer, the digital prosumer, slash customer of smart cities can stand up and say that, then their life really is their message, but they're giving the message back to the cities and the utilities. Do you think so, Jörg? Does that work? Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, we will come to that later. I guess um, it's not only prosumers. There are some, let's say, some people that are always ahead or early adopters. Uh, mm-hmm. but then we need to reach the, the mass. Yeah, and it's not easy. It's it's to persuade people becoming a prosumer, and that's the new task for the utilities to proactively approach people and say what they can do better in terms of uh, producing their own energy or re- and that thus reducing greenhouse gases. Yeah? Thank you, Jörg. That was great. I'm going to go around the table and pose the same question, Rob Wilhite at Navigant Consulting. You're sitting next to Jörg. So what do you think about the concept that the digital prosumer, new customer of smart cities, is saying to the utilities and to the smart cities, my life is my message? Rob? Oh, Bonnie, that message is very much alive. And in fact, I would think of the prosumers, not just individual consumers at the residential level, But this is uh, growing in terms of the commercial, industrial, government institutions. They are all declaring a conviction towards sustainability, towards uh, reduced greenhouse gas emissions, 100% renewable energy production in some cases. And in fact, if you think about the fact that as a country in the U.S., we pulled out of the Paris Agreement officially, but I believe that that has had even a greater catalyzing impact to spur Mm -hmm. these movements that are happening more at the grassroots level, at the local government level, and certainly at the city and state level. So it's a growing movement, and utilities and energy companies serving these customers are very much taking notice and thinking about how better to serve them in the future. Thank you, Rob. Very interesting perspective. I'm glad you brought that up. Eric Dresselhaus. Eric, you're at Smart Energy Water. You are a utility, I'm assuming. We haven't gone around and gotten what everybody does, but how is this impacting what you do? Do you agree that the digital prosumer is the one with the message? Well, we're not a consu- we're not a utility body. We uh, we're a technology company that that uh, works with utilities to help okay. with some of these uh, initiatives. Uh, so, but we see it for, uh, firsthand, and we are mm-hmm. sitting at the table with utilities. And uh, I think Rob's right. This is becoming uh, not just an individual item, but it's really the, what the brand message you're sending to your consumers. And, and that doesn't matter if you're uh, a, a technology company or a software company or a, uh, an automobile company. Uh, mm-hmm. You're sending a message to your customers about what your brand stands for. 
And, uh, you know, now are, does everybody care about it? Uh, not everybody yet. But uh, it's, uh, I th- to my mind, a little bit like recycling or maybe wearing your seatbelt is. In the early mm-hmm. days, uh, old people, you know, they don't get it and, and they think it's a big fuss. But who gets in a car these days and doesn't put on their seatbelt? Yeah. Uh, who, who doesn't recycle their aluminum cans and their plastic bottles and their newspapers? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the prosumer mentality of, um, ecologically uh, conscientious, environmentally sustainable are quickly becoming uh, expectations. Uh, and when you find out uh, that, uh, that the, the person you're working with, the utility of the city, doesn't support those initiatives, uh, that's the surprise. You know, you, that's going to become the outlier, uh, not the, not the uh, it's not going to be the obduct who's into being a prosumer or thinking about the environment. Uh, that's going to be the mainstream mentality, and the outlier is going to be the organization, the city, the utility that doesn't move in that direction. Thank you very much. Great insights. And I'm going to go back to Rob Wilhite. Rob, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. This is the part of the show where I ask each of my guests where you're calling from today. That's number one. And I'll remind you if you forget the question, because sometimes people do. Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you in the whole world? And that's because the flagship show I started for Game Changers seven years ago is called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So we love to know your personal choice, what you love to drink. And number three, tell us about Navigant Consulting and your role. Well, thank you, Bonnie. I appreciate the opportunity. First of all, I am calling from the great city of Charlotte, North Carolina, where it's absolutely beautiful today. And Mm -hmm. just one state over from me in Tennessee lies the uh, distillery for Jack Daniels in Lynchburg, Tennessee. And all these years I've been to Tennessee, I've never had the opportunity to tour the distillery until just a few months ago. And at that point, I was introduced to something called Sinatra Select. It's one of the Mm. higher-end whiskeys made by Jack Daniels. And so my coffee break would be, well, after 5 p.m., let's say. And so I would uh, very much enjoy a Sinatra Select at the end of the day or or after a fine dinner. It's called Sinatra Select because Frank Sinatra would only drink this type of whiskey and this particular brand from Jack Daniels. And not too many people know about it. It's very rare. It's hard to find. uh, But once you do find it, Trust me, uh, you would very much enjoy it if you are a whiskey drinker. And I have to tell uh, you, Rob, it, I, lo- I looked it up, and I have here just a sidebar here. Frank Sinatra drank expensive red wine and mixed martinis for his friends on the set of the movie Ocean's Eleven. But his own drink was a simple but exacting mix of ice, Jack Daniels, Tennessee whiskey, and water. He said, this is a gentleman's drink. This is nice. Is that the one? That's the one, and in fact, it's very interesting. You get the whiskey bottle in a box that opens up with a nice little booklet inside with a bit of history and some pictures of Frank Sinatra. I love it. Talk about branding, right? Talk about great branding and <laughs> culture and history, and wow, that's really cool. So tell me, Navigant Consulting, what do you do? Uh, we are advisors to the energy industry, be it uh, electric utilities, gas utilities, We also serve uh, federal and state governments, provincial governments in Canada, as well as governments in Europe. And we also, to a smaller extent, serve industries and large corporations. But our principal client base are utilities. We provide both strategic engineering, 
technical consulting services. We help advise them on how do they deal with the consumers in their marketplace, what kind of strategies, what kind of capital investments they need to make. And we do this, Bonnie, in both North America and Europe mm-hmm. and Middle East. Thank you very much. Pleasure to get to know you, Rob. And let's move around the table back to Eric Dresselhaus at Smart Energy Water. Same three questions, Eric. Number one, where are you in the world today? Number two, what's your favorite drink? And number three, now you can tell me all about Smart Energy Water. Go ahead. Sure. Well, I'm in Vienna, Austria, even as we speak, uh, on what was a uh, cloudy and overcast fall day. Uh, but uh, we're here for a big utility uh, conference uh, that uh, spans all of Europe. So that was, uh, I normally live in San Francisco, but I'm calling in from Vienna. Thank um, you. And since I'm on the continent, I guess I'll pick, uh, I'll pick the Barcelona gin and tonic as my, as my drink of choice. Like Rob, I'll have it after 5 p.m. But if you've, if you've never been to Barcelona, um, uh, they have a, a whole culture around the, the humble gin and tonic. And, of mm-hmm. course, back in the U.S., if you ordered a gin and tonic, you'll just get some gin and some tonic and perhaps a slice of fruit. But in, uh, but in uh, Barcelona, it is elevated to high art, served in a big fishbowl <laughs> of, a, of a glass with juniper berry seeds and three kinds of fruit and uh, various herbs, uh, and they really make a big show out of it. Uh, and on a hot summer day, uh, as you're getting down towards the Mediterranean, uh, it tastes pretty good. Eric, I have a statistic for you. I don't know if you know this, but a report from the Federación Española de Bebidas Espirituosas, the FEBE, says that gin and tonic called G&T, G ampersand T is now the yep. third most consumed drink in Spain after whiskey with a total of 31% followed by rum at 20%. Are you surprised? I am surprised. <laughs> I there you go. I uh, Spain as a, as a rum drinker. Um, there, so there you go. There you go. Okay. There you go. And I have the recipe for gin and tonic Barcelona style. You want me to read it or shall we move on? I'll leave it up to you. No. Well, uh, uh, let's, let's read it. Now that we've seized people with it, I think you have to read it. I think so. Okay, so step one, place a highball or rocks glass in the freezer. It needs to be chilled. Step two, fill the glass two-thirds with ice. Rub the lemon twist around the rim and drop it into the glass. Do the same with a rosemary sprig. Step three, add the gin and use a swizzle stick or spoon to stir. That's called gin and tonic Barcelona style. Did that? Was that the one you wanted? Yeah, pretty close. Okay. Didn't have the juniper berries, though. So tell me now. Yeah, that's, me a, <laughs> that's a little bit of a letdown. So uh, anyway. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So uh, th- thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm president of a company called Smart Energy Water. We uh, serve the energy and water uh, utility industry. Uh, ah. And uh, the products that we make, the solutions that, that we've created, are really all about digital customer engagement. So... Um, the problem that we try to tackle is uh, how do we bridge customer, the consumer and their utilities into mm-hmm. uh, leading us to this new world and, and do that in a way that is in keeping with other modern mobile-first technologies that, uh, uh, that we're all used to seeing from, from service providers of all kinds. So, you know, if anybody that's ever... Um, you know, you used an, um, an Uber app and you can push two buttons and with your thumb, 
get a car to come to your house uh, might be befuddled mm-hmm. on how hard it is to get uh, your your smart thermostat registered uh, to your utility or to uh, register your uh, solar panel so you can see how much electricity you've generated. And so we create a toolkit for utilities that allow them to, to, to be very modern in, in incorporating energy efficiency, uh, renewable energy, uh, and all of the ways that consumers and their utilities interact uh, all on a, on a digital mobile platform. Thank you. That is absolutely fascinating. How did you come up with the name of the company? Well, it was uh, pretty simple. I did not. It was not me who came up with the name, but it's uh, trying to be very simple to say, listen, what we're about is trying to make energy, so gas and electricity and water, uh, smart for 7 billion people on Earth oh, sometime. Uh, and so it was uh, nothing more simple than just saying what we are. We're smart, energy, and water. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And now let's move on. Jurg is waiting patiently. Jurg, I said that to a guest on the radio last week. I said Bob is waiting patiently for me to call on him and find out who he is and where he is. And and Bob said to me, how did you know I was patient or not? And I was just making conversation. It was a little bit embarrassing, so don't you dare. So Jurg Fulchow is ready to talk to me. Jurg, where are you today? And you helped put the show together. Thank you so much. Jurg, where are you today? What do you love to drink? And tell me about your role at SAP, please. So today I'm so I'm based in in Waldorf. So the headquarters of SAP here, uh, or the the world headquarter, I would say. And I live close by. It's it's a small twelve miles away, small village with a lot of vineyards around and uh, five wine producers who live from that. And so a lot of wine drinking here, but I'm from another county. I'm from Bavaria, so the mm-hmm. beer drinking country, the Oktoberfest county. So yep. most of the time I like drinking beer, and so do I today. And I found a nice shop here in this county, which has a lot of beer from my home county. And today I'm drinking a beer from northern Bavaria. This is a part that is also known as Franconia, and they still have a it's very tiny compared to any county in in, in U.S. Uh, but it has a lot of breweries, and it's more than 300 breweries, very ancient breweries as well among mm. them. And today I'm drinking a very very local beer from a tiny city called Neuhaus. Yeah, nobody would know it, but it's very traditional, very nice. And uh, that's what I'm drinking today, yeah. Thank you. And what what do you do? Yes, what do you do at SAP? What I do at SAP, well, I'm a member for a long, long time in a a department. It's called Industry Business Unit Utilities. Um, Yeah, we, and one of our responsibilities in that unit changed a little bit. Now we are more towards the market. We should... Um, look at market trends, but we also follow technology trends and we try to bring both together and uh, see how um, utilities can benefit from it. And um, besides, I'm a, a design thinking coach. This is this mm. methodology coming from Stanford University, I guess. And we at SAP, we adapted it a little bit. And um, the idea is to come together 
uh, with um, different people from different areas uh, and uh, have a methodology in place, have a nice place uh, where you meet, and um, the outcome of this methodology is innovation. And especially mm-hmm. in these days where, um, let's say, utilities are looking for new business models, it's sometimes worth um, having such workshops to get uh, initial ideas of what uh, can be done next or what can be tried out next. Yeah, that's Thank what I'm doing Thank you very much, Jörg. Very interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. Pleasure to have the three of you on. We're going to skip the break and go right through into our formal roundtable discussion. And if you're just joining us, I will tell you you're listening to Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. And our topic today is the digital prosumer. New customer in future cities. And you, our listeners, may in fact be the digital prosumer. Are you demanding more efficiency? Are you demanding a better customer experience? Are you demanding innovation of your utilities and your smart city? Are you a citizen who has values and your own brand? We've talked about that. And you're saying, I want better. I want renewable energy. I want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I have values and I want those to be embraced by the cities where I live or where I work or where I play. So that's what we're talking about. My three special guests are very, very smart. And this is their wheelhouse. Our Rob Wilhite at Navigan Consulting, Eric Dresselhaus at Smart Energy Water, and Jörg Fulchow at SAP. So we're going to start the roundtable, and Rob Wilhite at Navigan Consulting, I'm looking at your notes, and let me pick something I think will be an interesting place to go. You say, utilities need to transform into service companies that offer value-adding services via a platform to serve the digital prosumer. So why don't you expand this for us and tell us if if all utilities are already on board or if this is a brand new thought they're just finding out about today. Rob, talk for about two minutes and then we will bring in Eric and Jörg to add their thoughts to your topic. Go ahead, Rob. Great. Thank you, Bonnie. I I believe that if you were to draw a parallel with other industries, be it uh, transportation, lodging, and many others, you're going to see emerging examples of where uh, the uh, new asset light, so to speak, industries and companies are starting to address consumer mm-hmm. demands. So Uber is a great example of that, you know, yes. in terms of the transportation market. It's changing our, our view of even the vehicle ownership. It's changing our view of using uh, other forms of public transportation. So take that parallel and let's better understand how that might apply in the utility industry. And when you think about the prosumer and the growing demand that we've uh, recently discussed here, you know, the, the consumers are demanding a cleaner, more distributed, mobile, and higher uh, uh, greenhouse gas reduction efforts from their utilities than ever before. And so utilities have to rethink what their business model is because there are new stakeholders coming into the energy industry. You've got retailers like IKEA who are selling mm-hmm. a combination of solar plus storage in Europe and, and ready-to-go-home kits so that consumers become prosumers overnight. You've got companies mm. like the oil and gas majors, BP, Total, Shell. They're all declaring that they're going to be spending billions of dollars on clean energy and renewable energy resources. And so they're new players. And then, of course, you see the companies like Tesla, uh, Mercedes, Toyota, and others who are bringing in a different form of transportation in terms of electric vehicles and the charging Mm -hmm. infrastructure needed for EVs. 
And so when you look at it this way, utilities, the incumbent energy suppliers, are going to have to change to from an asset-based model to supplement that model with one that provides services. And, and how do they use their existing assets, be it wires, pipes, streetlight circuits, and others, to enable these new products and services? And, and Bonnie, one thing I've been saying yes. for the last several years, utilities mm-hmm. have to move from treating the regulator as their ultimate consumer to one where they're treating the consumer as the ultimate regulator. Well, that's interesting. That's a quotable moment, Mr. Wilhite. I appreciate that very much. I want to go paint it on the side of a billboard or a wall somewhere. No, seriously, that was that was very clever and very well done. Thank you. Eric Dresselhaus, I know you have something to say. You don't have to agree with Rob, but we'd love your point of view on what Rob just shared with us. Well, I, I, I'll, let me build on what Rob said, because sure. bringing in this notion of the regulator at the end is, I think, a very important one. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the challenges that utilities face uh, is this uh, historic 100-plus year regulatory model that most utilities have lived under. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, what was, what was the goal? The goal was to provide safe, reliable uh, gas, water, electricity, to the customers because that was considered part of the social good. So we're kicking into this new, uh, a, a new era where that those basic, uh, uh, you know, call it the lower on Mavlov hierarchy, um, uh, are met. And everybody assumes that they can come home and throw on the light switch and, uh, uh, and the lights will come on, it will be there, uh, and it will be reliable. So as we were talking earlier, you know, the expectation for what that commodity, what that, uh, what's getting delivered has changed. It's not just mm-hmm. a commodity. All electricity uh, is not the same. Uh, and so uh, I think that uh, I agree that, that utilities are going to have to rethink the model because uh, making money by building more power plants and then socializing those costs across uh, you know, the mass of people is no longer a sustainable business model. It may be the case that we don't build another coal-fired power plant in this country uh, in my lifetime. And mm. so if that's the case, um, the utilities business model is going to have to evolve. And I think the regulatory model has to evolve uh, to accommodate those changes. Uh, what we don't want to do is uh, put the utilities at such a disadvantage regulatorily uh, that uh, that uh, all of the other players that Rob mentioned come into the market and they eat away at the core because that will threaten uh, the basic premise of utility service, which is it's ubiquitously available to everybody and that there's a social good that comes with that. Thank you. You covered a lot of interesting points there. Jörg, so much to talk about. Rob started it. Eric added on to it. What would you like to add, please, Jörg? Okay, first of all, I, I share, uh, so I agree with, with Rob, of course, uh, and you see this new market entrance coming into the market, like you, you mentioned IKEA, for example, Shell, um, and for example, IKEA taking that, then they have a big advantage because they know how to reach out to customers, yeah, they're used to that, and um, this is what utilities still don't don't know so good. So they're some advanced again, but uh, most of the utilities, they, uh, I like this one, one, one quote from a colleague of mine. It said, uh, utilities should move 
from a meter obsession to customer intimacy because um, mm. they, they didn't even see the customer hiding behind the meter. Yeah? Yes. And then um, the meter was the central object and now they have to somehow win the customer, especially in liberalized markets. In regulated markets, it's not such a big problem or big issue. But in liberalized market where you have all that competition coming in from all sides, uh, it's difficult. Uh, what is also good in terms of regulation uh, is some countries, they, for example, here, they, they decided to uh, shut down the nuclear power plants. Um, I'm living here close to the Rhine Valley. It's, it's uh, in front of my door, basically. And it's a beautiful view. Yeah, I live a little bit on a mountain. I, I look there, but uh, that thing at the end is a nuclear power plant. It's one of the last uh, nuclear power plants in Germany and will be shut down next year. And the next one is uh, the coal-fired power plants will also be shut down. So there's no other choice than uh, going into these decentralized energy resources. Um, yeah, and uh, it's also, regulator also helps uh, or could help um, to to shift or to to manage the energy turnaround, and I hope um, we will manage it sooner or later because it will be an effort, not a top-down effort only, but uh, it will be bottom-up. So regions will try to become independent, uh, individual prosumers will try to do so, and um, altogether we will probably manage that in a couple of years, hopefully. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, hopefully. I heard that. Rob, you threw quite a wrench into this conversation by mentioning the word regulator. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. We love those little drop-in keywords, those buzzwords that just get people's juices flowing. So thank you. I'm going to move around the table to Eric Dresselhaus. And Eric, I found a couple of things in your notes here. If you permit me, I'm going to combine three of your topics into one because I think they're closely linked. So just give me a second here. First of all, you sure. said utilities and cities do not have a 100-year history of engaging with their customers, and they first need to learn from other industries how to sell and upsell, which is a little bit of a segue from what Jörg just mentioned. Or uh, Yeah, I think it was Jörg. And then you say utilities and cities should create an individual customer journey based on the data, whether it's technical, consumption, or lifestyle, or probably a, con- a con- combination of those three, or maybe a convolution of those three. And then the third thing you said, which I think goes beautifully with these, is persuading the traditional client, the traditional client, that's the one who j- somebody just said, the one behind the meter, now they're in front of the meter, persuading the traditional client to become a prosumer, you first need to gain trust. So, Eric, is it okay if we combine these three into what do utilities and cities need to do to gain the trust, to customize the experience, and make an individual customer journey? You good with that, Eric? I'm good with that. Good. Talk to well, me. And I would, yeah, and I would, what I would say, Bonnie, is you know, it starts really with this notion of, of a relationship. So let's, for the moment, pause what we think we know about cities or utilities and think about any other service provider, any other um, uh, store or vendor uh, that we that you choose to go to as a consumer, you build a relationship with that brand. Uh, that brand means something to you. You probably these days have a, a pretty consistent dialogue with that brand. They send you offers. Uh, they might send you text. Uh, when, if a package is getting delivered to my house, even one that I didn't, uh, I didn't arrange for the shipment, FedEx and UPS here in the U.S. will 
send me a text preemptively saying, hey, you've got a package coming to your house. And I appreciate that because if I'm not home, I'd like to know Mm -hmm. that. So bring it back to the cities and the utilities. That whole mentality of building trust and building a relationship is something that's pretty new. So take Jurg's point of we didn't even know the consumer. There was maybe they maybe we called them a ratepayer or maybe we just viewed it as load on the system. And now we're really changing uh, what the expectation is. Consumers today want uh, you'll hear you know said all the time you know genuine um, uh, experiences with their providers and they want to have a relationship with you. Now, my point on, on the individual relationship is what yep. that means for, for you, Bonnie, versus uh, Eric or Rob or York might be slightly different. We aren't all the same. We don't all have the same expectations. And so uh, the utilities have a big challenge because they have historically uh, almost been forced to look at everybody as a single class. We have to treat everybody the same. Sure. That's the goal. And in this new world, I don't think that works. I think that we're going to have to understand our customers. We're going to have to understand the people who value uh, convenience versus the people who value price, who are the different maybe than the people who are um, uh, tech savvy and early adopters versus the people uh, who uh, uh, are maybe uh, you know, Luddites uh, when it comes to energy technology and they just want somebody else to do it for them. Eric. What would your consumer experience be like as a digital prosumer with, let's say, the uh, the electric company where your home is? You said yours might be different, your individual customer journey different from mine, different from Rob's, different from yours. What would yours be like? Just curious. Yeah, well, what mine would be like is, uh, you know, I, I work in technology and I like technology. Mm-hmm. I like gadgets, so gadgets are good for me. Uh, I might <laughs> like uh, to have solar panels on my roof. I might like to have a uh, backup battery in, in the garage, which can mm-hmm. uh, store the energy that I've generated on my, from my solar panels uh, yep. and uh, uh, be able to sell that to the grid and make choices about at what price I want to sell versus at what price I might want to just store. I might like the fact that I know that since I travel a lot, my house has got a battery backup. So if there is a power outage, my family will be taken care of. And I'd pay a premium for that. Uh, that's worth more uh, to me than what I pay today if I know that it's more renewable, it's more sustainable, and uh, as, a, as a nice fallout of that, it's more um, uh, reliable. Because if there is a power outage in, in California, you know, we have a lot of storms and a lot of... Uh, uh, other concerns, earthquakes might be one of them, uh, that, uh, that having uh, that reliability is something that is, that is interesting to me. And I would, I would want to look on an app. I'd want to be able to configure things and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and change the settings. Now, I have an 88-year-old father, and I'll guarantee he doesn't want to do any of those things. Sure. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, let me go around the table from jumping off point of, of what Eric just shared. A lot of interesting topics, but they're all based around the customer experience. Who is the customer? What do they need and want? How can their needs be met? What kind of data can be used by utilities and cities to deliver that experience? You're, you're sitting next to Eric around the table, a virtual table. Why don't you chime in on, on any of the things, the opinions Eric gave about this customer journey and what they need and or what your customer journey would be like for you personally as an energy consumer who would say, I trust my utilities and they're giving me what, what I need. So, Jörg, join us, please. 
Yeah, um, I want to jump in what uh, Eric just said. I also agree with him. Everybody says right things here, of course. And um, um, I think uh, customer experience uh, starts um, even earlier um, collecting data. So all the big companies today, the IT companies, they are collecting lots of data about us. And yep. um, they do often bad things with that data. You hear it in the news. But the, 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 cha- the, the chance for utilities would now be they, they also collect data, yeah, be it technical data, consumption data, or with software you can even pick up lifestyle data from these prosumers. Yeah? And mm-hmm. you can now mix those data up and identify things um, or which the uh, a consumer, a prosumer, a consumer or prosumer would need as the next mm-hmm. best product. Yeah, so you you could um, analyze data and really identify what's really needed for the consumer or prosumer that would maybe lower his energy bill, and then he would gain trust. And once you once he's hooked, he would um, he would allow you to. Sell him more, sell more products to him. So that's the idea. It's the, I don't know, that's like this huge internet warehouse company. Yeah, they do the same. Uh, and then we, uh, utilities could then, once they gain trust, could adopt this methodology and sell more products and services. And the more he benefits, so it needs to be a win-win situation. And the more the consumer benefits or the prosumer, he's willing to maybe turn into a prosumer because getting a prosumer is a journey. Of course, there will be some that will buy any equipment at once, but it's, of course, also a cost thing. Yeah? And um, yeah. you need to start slow and then better sell for over a longer period of time than selling him everything at once. Yeah. Thank you. Rob Wilhite, join us. I'm sure you have a lot to contribute. What's on your mind about this topic, please? Well, it's a wonderful topic. First of all, we used to say that utilities could address their their ratepayers' needs or customers' needs through uh, safety, reliability, affordability, and now that has morphed into, okay, now it's got to be sustainable and, uh, and individualized to some extent. Um, and, and everything that I heard Eric and York say. But I would add a couple more things to that. Uh, one, I mm-hmm. think there's got to be uh, a value proposition around flexibility. And in the case mm. of prosumers who may be in a position where they are producing more electricity than they can consume at any point in time, I would love to have the flexibility to sell that excess power to my neighbor or donate it to a friend or a relative or somehow create a transaction where I can financially benefit from being in that position at that point in time. The second value proposition I think is going to take on greater significance in the future is I want more resiliency. And Mm. in the case of North Carolina in my home state, we have been visited by two hurricanes in the last two months, and that put a lot of people out of power, particularly on the eastern side of the state. Well, guess what? All the solar farms came back up in power, and they were largely unaffected and were able to produce electricity, even though the grid that connects to those solar farms was down and was not uh, in operation at that point in time. So the resiliency of distributed energy systems will, will certainly win the day in the future 
particularly when we are in an environment where climatic change is occurring and, and fiercer and stronger storms are probably in our future. Thank you. And, Rob, I neglected to tell you I'm in Durham, so I am now a resident of your same state, North Carolina, and we we escaped here. We did not get hit. Parts very close by, you know, a half hour away, were hit by the storms, by the hurricane, by horrific flooding. We just had a lot of thunder and lightning here, a lot of noise, but my neighborhood did not lose power. Were you okay in the recent storms? Yeah. In fact, in my part of Charlotte, uh, we saw the eye of the last storm come over us, but by then... You know, as it gets inland towards where we're located, uh, it's yeah. a much uh, a decreased storm compared to what hit the coast. It is, and I was intrigued by watching the weather map on the local Spectrum channel showing the, uh, they thought there was a tornado watch in downtown Durham, and they were tracking it with the yellow marker on the, on the screen, the live wall, if you will. They were tracking it block by block. It's now near Deepak. It's now on Roxborough Street. It's now on, I, I've never seen that before because I'm from New York, and that's not how we do, we don't, we don't get too many, that kind of storms up there, not that way. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It is time for our crystal ball predictions round. I saved 60 seconds for each of you and Rob you just spoke but you're sitting at the head of the table we started with you so that's where we're going to begin Rob Wilhite at Navigant Consulting please look into the crystal ball and tell me what you see that will change dramatically dynamically uh, excitingly whatever about our topic the digital prosumer new customer in future cities let's say well we're on what are we um, 13 months away from 2020 so that's almost here Barbara Walters is going to have to find something else to say. 2020. Yeah, we're almost there. But let's go between 2020 and 2020. I can't resist. Between 2020 and 2025, Rob, what will change? 60 seconds, Mr. Wilhite, go. Oh, Bonnie, I I love this question. First of all, I've been in the utility industry for 33 years. I would say the last five years have been uh, more exciting and have seen more changes than the previous 28 years combined. And so my bold statement would be looking forward for the next five to six years, I believe that energy incumbents, especially utilities, have less than five years to reorient their products and their business models around Mm -hmm. a lot of these fast-emerging technologies that enable prosumers to generate, store, and consume electricity. And that, that also includes technologies for smart cities, for transportation, for something we call at Navigant the Internet of Energy. And if mm, oh, these that's utilities and energy incumbents, if they don't make these changes and they don't come up with new business and revenue models in the next five years, they risk becoming a fringe player in the new emerging energy economy. No one wants that. Thank you very much, Rob. Eric Dresselhaus, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you at Smart Energy Water. Go. Go. So uh, I think uh, the <laughs> The, the point Rob made on the pace of change, I think, is exactly right. And I'll translate that to, to technology and to the price of technology. So I think that the, the change that's going to continue, the, the slide down the cost curve uh, for both uh, clean generation and storage, uh, not just battery storage, by the way, other forms of storage, are going to uh, just rewrite the, the rule book of how people... Um, uh, get energy, how they generate it, how they use it. Uh, and, and I think that's going to also translate to a uh, substantial uh, difference in how people around the world uh, have access to water. Uh, as you probably know, water is um, a much more precious commodity in many parts of the world than, than even energy or electricity. And uh, 
there's a nexus between the falling price of energy and how we manage uh, water purification and water availability. And I think that's going to have really profound cultural impact on, uh, on how people in developing countries uh, throughout Asia and Africa live. Because it's, there's, a, there's an analogy here to how cell phones uh, change these markets, where you know nobody in India went and rebuilt the entire landline phone system so that then they could do uh, cellular. Uh, what you see happen in the telecoms world in Africa and in, and in mm-hmm. India and other places is that they just leapfrog that whole middle step. And I think that's what's going to happen in energy. I don't think we're going to build traditional grids uh, in uh, undershirt parts of Africa, the 400 million people in India who don't have access to regular electricity. I think we're going to leapfrog. Eric, I have to stop you because I want to give 30 seconds to Jörg. We're literally out of time. I love the thread you're on. I hope we can meet again and talk more. Jörg, 30 seconds. Wrap up with your prediction, please. Okay, so uh, Rob said it. We are at a tipping point, so the 100-year-old business model of utilities is really running out of steam. Uh, We will go to the prosumer world, and uh, it is closely connected also to the mobility topic. We are talking about electric mobility, so in 2020, uh, 2020 or 2025, we will have lots of electric vehicles, and uh, the combustion engines will go down. And um, utilities will need uh, help lead to manage this new type of mobility, which is a greener mobility and a more sustainable individual mobility. Thank you very much, Jörg. I have to thank you, Jörg, for putting together a terrific panel and a great topic. Thank you all. And here's my closing. So I have a call to action, and let's see where we go with this. Fasten your seatbelt. I don't think that's part of a utility company yet, but you never know when we get IoT sensors in it, it might be connected somewhere else. So fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Rob Wilhite at Navigan Consulting, just like Eric Dresselhaus at Smart Energy Water, and just like Jörg Fruchtow at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you learned as much as I did. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.